Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Brad Wilson, welcome again. We appreciate you tuning us in. And remember, this podcast is heard weekly and produced by the Christ Life Fellowship. Visit our website, christ-life.org. We're going to get right into part number five of this amazing series from Warren Litzman called Renewing the Mind. We're so happy you're enjoying it. Thanks for all of your great comments. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. Every subject in the kingdom is beholden to this king until one day the king and queen produce a child. The moment that child is produced, and begins to grow up, it doesn't matter how much power and authority that king has. To that little boy, he's daddy. And the power and the authority is less than him being my father. Because regardless of what others think of him, he birthed me. He's my daddy who will take care of me. And he may have all the power in the kingdom, but me, I'm first with him. The first radical change in your mind is God to a father. Now think about it for a moment. He birthed you. He put another life in you. His son, Christ. Not only that, he's in charge of your circumstances and situations of life. He's father. You've got to have a radical change in your thinking about God. I used to be so afraid of God when I was a law preacher. I was afraid of Him. I used to preach sermons on holy fear. I had two or three of them on that one subject. You better fear God. I come to find out only religious folks feared Him. Sinners didn't. The world didn't. Only religious folks were afraid of God. That's because they hadn't been taught the true gospel. He's my father. He's birthed me. He's obligated to me. I don't know about over here, but we've got a big father issue in the United States now, and I call it a God thing. A God thing. 75 to 80 percent of all babies born in the United States do not have a legitimate father. I don't know what it is here. I used to say, God, why do you allow a thing like this to happen? Why don't you correct this? You got all power in heaven and earth. Why don't you do something about it? The Spirit said, It's a God thing. How come? God says, I want them to know me as Father. And this is the only way I can get their attention. To show them a fatherless world. So everything that happens has to do with God. But the fact that we have multitudes, uh, we turn around and kill a million and a half of those fatherless babies every year. So that keeps the number down to abortion. But he's allowed the fatherless issue to surface. So that all of these multitudes that have no earthly father might find out who their true father is by the new birthing. That's why he said you must be born again. Because that's the only way you're ever going to get a father. There are two things. I could say a lot, I guess, but there are two things 
that I should say to you about the fatherhood of God in you. The first is, ever since you've been born again, I consider your heavenly Father is in charge of you. Quit your worrying. Quit your fretting. The reason you have such a hard time is because you're a prodigal running away from your father all the time. He'll let you do that. God will let you run away from him and he won't go after you. The father never goes after erring sons because God's fixed evil in the world that's to push them back to him. Why? Why doesn't God go after us when we get in trouble? Because what he wants is love and love is a choice. You've got to make it whether you're in a hog pen or not, you got to make it. So he's in charge of your circumstances and situation. Sometimes I get a little angry and I look up at him and I say, boy, you sure have done something now. I'm in a mess. But I want you to know it's not my mess. It belongs to Christ who is my life. And he looks to you. Second thing about fatherhood of God. You need to treat God as father as if you were the only child he had. Now that takes a renewed mind. You ever think of him like that? You ever think of him as being a bona fide father to the extent that you're the only child he's got? You say, well, I'd be selfish. No, he likes that. He likes that. When you have several children in the family, you like for one of them every once in a while just by themselves to come up and grab you around the neck and sit in your lap and just love you. What are they doing? They're treating you as if you were the only one. To them, they are. You know how God would like for you to treat Him? As if you were the only child He had. You know what religion's done to us? It's misused faith. It's made a con game out of faith. What does it do? It says if you don't get enough faith, you won't get a hold of it. You don't really get faith. God's not going to listen to you. That's Old Testament. That's not the result of the birthing at all. The birthing changed all that. He's responsible. I'm not saying you don't need faith. I'm just saying that's not why He's interested in you. You're His offspring. He loves you. You're going to be His regardless. Religion lets you get out of it. He doesn't. Religion says, well, they're not in the work anymore. God says, they're my child. I don't care what they do. I birthed them. See, it's different with him. The father is different. That's what happened as a result of being born again. We've got multitudes of people in Christianity that don't know what it means to be born again, so they're still living like they were Old Testament saints saved. No, he's my father. I deal with him at times, especially when I hurt the most, as if he didn't have a world and he didn't have another soul but me. And I let him know. You better take care of me. You put me in this situation. You're my father. I trust you. This is why I teach that trust is greater than faith on this point. You get all the faith you want and still may not get what you want, but if you trust God, it doesn't matter whether you get what you want or not. He's going to take care of you. That's different. That's different. You're going to have to have a renewed mind concerning the Holy Spirit. The second member of the Trinity, the Godhead. You're going to have to change your thinking about the Holy Spirit. 
This was probably the hardest part of learning Christ in the whole of the New Testament. What to do with the Holy Spirit. Evangelical theology says this, that when a sinner is saved, the Holy Spirit comes in as Christ. That always bothered me. Because I can't find a scripture anywhere that says the Holy Spirit is Christ. I can't find a scripture anywhere that says the Holy Spirit in the believer constitutes Christ. That Christ is constituted by us being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know a scripture. If you know one, bring it to me. But I don't know a one. Because I don't believe the Holy Spirit is Christ. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit is real. I believe He has a mission. I believe He has authority. I believe He is an intricate part of God's plan. But I don't believe He's Jesus Christ. I don't believe Paul would have said we were in Christ 186 times if he meant we were in the Holy Spirit. So your mind must be renewed. The reason why the in Christ message is not known today is because of this problem of the misuse of the Holy Spirit. We have misused him. He's misused. Before Jesus left this earth in his last great sermon, he recognized this problem, I believe, about the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15, and 16, three important chapters in John's Gospel, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit that was coming. He talks about Him coming in a few days. In these three chapters, at least seven times, He introduces the Holy Spirit as a teacher. When He comes, He'll teach you things to come. He'll not speak of Himself. He'll speak only of Me. That's a teaching process. He'll take the things of Mine and reveal them unto you. Revealing is a teaching process process. Seven times in those three chapters, at least, he says the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He also says in places like Acts 1 and 8, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power. I'm going to tell you what the power is. The power, the greatest power a human being has is a learned lesson from the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest power you have. Now you can have trembling power, you can have falling out power, you can have dancing power, you can have anointing power to talk, you can have all kinds of temporary power, but the greatest power a believer ever has is the power that comes from the teaching of the Holy Spirit. You've got to renew your mind to that. Some people say, well, the power is the Holy Ghost coming upon them like it did on the day of Pentecost. No, the power is knowledge. Because we need to follow the sequence. That 120 took the outer power as a means of true power, and it wasn't. It was a great thing that happened. It was God doing it. But that was not the greater power. The greater power is in knowing. In John 14 and 20, Jesus says, On that day when the Holy Spirit is come, you shall know that I'm in you and you're in me. They didn't come to that knowing that day. So the greater power is in the knowing. You're on a deathbed dying with cancer. Everybody in the world's prayed for you. Doctors have done all they could. Medicine can do no more. You know you're going to die. You know what your greatest power is? Is knowing 
who you are in Christ Jesus. All other power has failed. Nothing else matters but what you know about your relationship with God. That's power. That's why Paul said in our text, you've not so learned Christ. Because the power is in the knowing. What was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He said when he comes, he will speak only of me. That's the power. A fellow said to me not long ago, you still believe in being full of the Holy Ghost? I said I wouldn't want to go a day without it. Wouldn't want to live a minute without the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's good. Do you feel the power? Oh, I said I don't feel it so much, but I sure do know it. Because my knowing is the power. I know something. I know in whom I have believed. That's the greatest statement of faith Paul ever made. I know in whom I have believed. I know something. You can't cheat a person who knows something. When the devil comes around, I rebuke him by knowing. What is my power? I know something. You know what I tell the devil every once in a while? I say, I say devil, I'm older than you are. That's something I know. He don't scratch his head on that. He knows that's the truth. He just didn't figure I knew it. <laughs> now, I'm older he was. Why? Because I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So the Holy Spirit is not life. The Holy Spirit is not my Savior. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross. That's Christ. The Holy Spirit brings Christ. If a God seed's put in me, I'll allow that the Holy Spirit transported the seed from God and put it in me. But He's not the seed. I have the God nature in me. I will allow that the Holy Spirit may have transported the God nature but he's not the God nature. That's Christ. So you've got to have a change in your thinking about the Holy Spirit. That means something when you get a hold of that. The tripartite man, a body, soul, and the Spirit is Christ. Where does the Holy Spirit operate in the believer? Right here. In the soul. What's his ministry? To teach you this Christ that's in you. Why? Because Christ in you is contrary to your present knowledge. You know how to operate with the devil in you, but you don't know how to operate with Christ in you. You gotta learn that. You gotta grow up into all things. You gotta come to that understanding. Somebody says, What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to allow the Holy Spirit to be the teacher. To divide between my old man knowledge and my new creation knowledge. I must make that decision. I can make that decision between the two. We'll go on in this text in our next sessions in Ephesians 4. It'll come to that. But where does the Holy Spirit operate? In our soul. So when you got saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit and Christ was birthed in you. So you got both of them. You got both of them. Nothing happened to body. 
sad to say, all of you have found some sort of a prophet or somebody for body who's telling you what to do in your body. But your soul and your spirit are under the direction of the Trinity. You need to change your thinking about the Holy Spirit. Some people are ready for the Holy Spirit to be an outer thing. For instance, there's some that teach that the Holy Spirit is outside of us and you need to go get Him. I used to teach that. So I had this believer seeking after the Holy Spirit all the time. What did that believer want? He wanted to be something within himself. You see, it's like this. If you've got a believer... who doesn't know Christ as his spirit, he doesn't know Christ lives in him, then you know what he wants? He wants a ministry of his own. See, he doesn't know Christ is there. If he's saved, Christ is really there, but he doesn't know that. So he still wants a ministry of his own. What does he do? Oh, this preacher said, I could be used of God. I want to get enough faith and power so that I can be anointed to be used of God. So what does he do? He goes out here wanting a work of the Holy Spirit. He reaches out after it. Why? So he can be something within himself. See? He wants to do something himself. I want, I, want, I want to be used of God for the gifts. Or I'd like to be an apostle. You've heard my apostle story. Have you ever heard my apostle story? I didn't tell you. Oh, I was in a big meeting one time in Orlando, Florida. You know Orlando, don't you? That's where Disney lives. Orlando, Florida. Big meeting. Every full gospel church in the air was supporting it. A big tabernacle out on the campgrounds, or on the fairgrounds in Orlando. Never will forget it. Had a businessman, full gospel businessman. You ever heard of them? He was a full gospel businessman. He sat on the first row every night. And every time something happened, he jumped up and danced a little jig and shouted. He was very, he was very uh, visible in the meeting, let's say. And uh, when I got home from that meeting, a couple of days went by and I got a phone call. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And on the other end of the line was this fellow and he was still shouting. And he said, I've just had a great revelation from God. Oh, I said, what's that? What is that? He said, God just showed me that you were his apostle of Pentecost for this day. I didn't say anything. I was still half asleep, I guess. He said, you hear me? He said, God just showed me that you were his apostle for this day. Now, he said, what do you think of that? I still didn't answer. And finally, he said, well, surely you got some reaction. I said, well, I'm thinking it over. I'm thinking it over. I said, I'm trying to figure out whether I want to step down from being what I am to be an apostle. I said, I'm already a son. I don't know how to get any higher than that. You see, we all want ministries. That's why we go somewhere to find them. We want somebody to lay hands on us so we can have our ministry. What are you going to do with Jesus in you when you get your ministry? Are you going to say, I can do it better than you, Jesus? 
Are you going to say to God, God, you better use me because I've gone to a lot of trouble to get this ministry. I traveled all the way across the country and the prophet laid hands on me and said that I have this ministry. And now you better back me up, Lord. What do you think God thinks of that? Well, you know, he'll bless some of them. He blesses fools. Ignorant. Insane. He blesses all of them. That's his grace. He's a loving, kind, heavenly Father. But you know what? You don't really have anything. You just have a God that cares about you. He's not going to back and support your ministry after He put Christ in you. And Paul would teach us that that's our life now. Our life's not our ministry. Our life's not our works. Our life is Christ. It's, It's Him. You've got to have your mind renewed to that. I don't have a ministry. I have Christ and He works through me like I am. Lawyers don't have professions. If they're saved, they have Christ working through them like they are. Doctors don't have professions. They have Christ working through them like they are. Ditch diggers have no life of their own. It's Christ as them digging the ditch. Until you get it fixed in you, you'll be misusing this Christ that's in you. Because He's your life. And He ordained to live in you, to work out of you by whatever it was you had been created to do. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to work out of me like God made me. Well, I'm spending my life finding out who I am. Little by little I find out. And the more I find out who I was created to be, the more Christ flows out of me. It isn't me at all. It's Him. It's Him. That's why we're loving people in the Christ life. That's why we hug necks. I don't hug necks because I like to hug necks. I hug necks because I see Christ in you. It's not a personal thing. It's a family thing. You're in my family. We're one in this Christ. We're going to quit right there and take our break. Take your Bibles and go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I'm still on the subject of the, of the Trinity. I've talked a bit about God the Father and a little bit about God the Holy Ghost. How do we know when the Holy Spirit begins to minister to us that Christ in us is affected by that? If we go back to our text, we have some ideas from that. Let's look at our text again, beginning at verse 20, and ye have not so learned Christ. If so be, ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, there's an interesting thing about Christ in us. He speaks. He speaks to us. He is truth, and truth speaks to us. The only voice Christ has is your voice. The only mind he has is your mind. We have the mind of Christ. 
Greek for that probably says we have available the mind of Christ. But Christ has no mind but your mind. He has no voice but your voice, the Christ that's in you. This is why we don't preach Jesus of Nazareth as our example. Jesus of Nazareth is important to us, especially in his death, burial, and resurrection, and you need to be able to rightly divide the scriptures there. Because once Christ went into Gethsemane, it was no longer a Judaistic message. It was no longer a kingdom message. When he went into Gethsemane and drank the cup, the whole wide world was poured into him. And from that moment on, everything he did was our death, our burial, our resurrection, and our ascension. So there was a radical change in Jesus of Nazareth once he went into Gethsemane. But as we begin to learn Christ, we have him speaking truth through us, to us. Now I've always, when I taught students, we would get in these more technical areas, and I'm uh, still bound by them to an extent, I guess. But it's the Holy Spirit that does the talking with us because he's our teacher. He's the one who speaks. When we pray, we don't pray to the Holy Spirit or Christ. We pray to the Father. Jesus laid this out in his first teachings to the apostles, and it's so even in our gospel today. But these scriptures say that Christ in us, when he is learned and when he has been given his rightful place, he speaks. Look at the line. It says, if so be ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He speaks. I'm directed to Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1 that says, God, who in sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom he hath made the world. That's a real loaded portion of Scripture. It's a rightly divided verse of Scripture. Hebrews, which I believe is written by the Apostle Paul, was an epistle written during his Acts period. The Acts period is a period from about the 13th chapter of Acts through to the 28th chapter of Acts. In that period of time, Paul wrote seven of his epistles, including the book of Hebrews. We call these seven epistles epistles during the Acts period because Paul is directing his message there not only to the new convert, the one who had born again, but he's directing his final message to Israel. The message he directs to Israel is not one of the kingdom message. If you rightly divide the truth, you'll never find Paul attempting to establish a kingdom on this earth because that's contrary to grace and it belongs to Israel. However, he speaks to Israel during this period of time. The reason he speaks to Israel is that he has been led of God to let Israel know that she is held in account for rejecting her Messiah. If you were to sum up all the words that Paul gives us in Romans and Galatians and Corinthians, you would, by putting them together, see <coughs> that the Apostle Paul has given a message to Israel. What that message basically is, you have rejected your Messiah. 
Now, the only way you can be saved is like a Gentile. Simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning that an Israelite, after the gospel had turned to the Gentiles, could no longer be saved by Judaistic doctrine. There are many today who still practice that to their era, but that radically changed. Because a Jew cannot be saved today by being a Jew, by keeping up anything that Abraham did, or anything the Old Testament taught, or anything that's in the law. He can only be saved today by the finished work of Christ, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Five times the apostle says in his epistles that all have been made sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why does Paul say this on five different occasions? It is so that Israel will not think she has a special edge over what she believes or over being <coughs> a Jew. The only way she can come to God now is as a sinner because in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile and all who are born again are all springs of God. If they were once Jew, they're no longer Jews. Now, most Jewish Christian works don't like to hear me say that, but it is a fact. Once they're born again, they're no longer Jews. Once I was born again, I was no longer German. You're no longer Irish. You're no longer African or whatever you are. You're a new creation. You're, you're a whole new race of people by Christ in you, and that's what uh, the Apostle Paul teaches. We'll probably get back to that later. But the Apostle Paul told us something about Hebrews because here is where he spends a lot of his time dealing with Israel and the law. The theme of Hebrews is Christ is greater. You went through the book of Hebrews, you'd marked that several times. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Isaac. He's greater than Jacob. He's greater than anybody in the Old Testament. Why is he making this point? Because now the only way anybody can be saved is through Jesus Christ, and nothing of the past will save them except the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so he begins this epistle to the Hebrews by saying, God in these last days. <clears throat> now you need to understand something. Uh, they believed they were living in the last days then. There are, in fact, two last days in the Scripture, and you have to rightly divide once again. There's the last days of the kingdom message. Jesus taught that the end was coming because he believed they'd accept the Messiah. The apostles taught that the end was coming in their day for the kingdom to be established on this earth. It didn't happen. And then when the apostle Paul received the final gospel from Jesus Christ, he began to teach that the end was at hand. Paul looked for Jesus to come in his day. His first epistles are the epistles to the Thessalonians. And you can't read a chapter in any one of those Thessalonian epistles where he doesn't mention the coming of the Lord. That was his first writing. That was heavy on his heart. That was an important factor. He looked for Jesus to come even in that day. Uh, because the message now was Christ in you. And that made a whole difference in their understanding of what was the gospel, what was truth. And so he makes a keen division here in these first two verses of Hebrews when he says, God is no longer talking to us by prophet. That's a little hard. I don't know how far you want to carry that, but that's, uh, he probably meant Old Testament prophets. But he says, in time past, God's spoken to us that way. But he doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't speak through prophets today. In these last days, he's spoken by his son. Now, what does he mean by that? As I talk to you now, I speak by the son. Because the Christ in me has no voice but my voice. He has no mind but my mind. Until you give Christ your mind, he is a mindless Christ in you. 
So he's got to have your mind to operate. That was the truth that was different. In the Old Testament and the four Gospels, Christ moved in with a surge of power and he changed people and changed things. doesn't do that in grace. In grace, he uses what we are. He uses what we give him. He's in, <coughs> he's in us, but he can only get out of us by us. So Jesus, when he speaks to us and speaks through us, he comes out of us like we are. That's why your every word should be noticed. That's why everything you do should be noticed because the only life you have is Christ and the only way he gets out of you is by you. So you have to have a radical change in your thinking about the Christ that is in you. You don't have a place in God where you are righteous one time and not another. You don't have a place in God where you're anointed at one time to do something for God and another time not. There's no change. There is no variance between these two because everything you do is Christ. Everything you do has to do with Christ. That's your life. That's your life. You may not be ready for that, but you're going to have to have a change in your thinking if Christ is to be your life. Somehow we have the idea, he's my life when I'm righteous. He's my life when I do something religious. He, he's my life when I serve God. <clears throat> Every once in a while, back in our place, I get caught in a, in a task that uh, I don't know anything about, but I have to do it trying to save some money. And one of them is plumbing. And I will learn, learn a lesson on this <clears throat> once uh, in uh, where our office building is. The ground and the floor are about like that. And the pipe was in an area like that, and I had to crawl on the ground to get it. Well, the sad fact was there was too much air for me to get between the two. <clears throat> Finally, I squeezed my way in, and when I got there, I tried to work on these pipes, and it was a tedious job. I couldn't get things to come together right. I couldn't get them loose. I couldn't get them tight. I couldn't stop them from leaking. and just had all kinds of problems because I'm not a plumber, and I, I don't think a plumber would have done what I did. And I probably couldn't afford what he wanted to do. So by God's grace, I was going to do it. Well, that's where I learned a lesson, that it's Christ as me. Because I thought I could do that job. I thought I was capable. I thought that impossible task could be accomplished because I was trying to save money. That was wrong. That shouldn't have been my, my motivation at all. And there the Holy Spirit taught me that it's Christ doing this job. Now, he said, if we could get you to stop doing it in your own strength and confess that you have no life but Christ, this thing would come together a little quicker than you're doing it. So I learned that even a menial task, like me trying to fix a leak in plumbing, was not my job at all. It was his as me. Now, he couldn't fix those pipes without my hand and without my mind. But when I finally stopped doing it in my own strength, and said, Christ, it's you, it's me. I finally got it done. It wasn't a great supernatural thing. Still took me time, but now I had confidence it would all come together because it wasn't me, it was him. So you see, I never separate myself from the Christ that's in me. We have a great tendency to live in a state of separation. 
we have a tendency to say, well, when I do something spiritual, that's one thing, and when I do something secular, that's another. There's no such thing. I only have one source of life. The only me there is has been crucified with Christ. The only me there is is dead with Christ. As I reckon myself dead, then he has license to come through me and to operate. But the only life I have is Christ. I don't have another life. There's not another me. Now, there's an old me that I surface once in a while. I do something I shouldn't do in a state of separation. And I've learned now what to do. The moment I do it, I say, Father, that really wasn't me. You know that's not me as yours. That's the old me, and he just surfaced because my mind went astray. So I have to tell God every once in a while, that's not me. I have to tell myself that, or I'd live in condemnation. That's not me. I did something bad. That's not me. Because the real me is him, and he and I don't do that. We become one. We don't do that. But when I separate myself from him, I do that. So when you start renewing your mind, you face this issue of separation. Separating yourself from the Christ that's in you. That's not hard to do. Because that's the way you've always operated. That's why we like to go to a big meeting somewhere where there's an explosive thing taking place because we feel real religious there. <clears throat> We're out of the state of separation. We love to be, we say, in the presence of God because in the presence of God there's no separation. Well, there's no separation from Christ wherever you are. You're going through a living hell. There's no separation. He's there. He's always there. It's a matter of your thinking. It's a matter of the renewal of your mind. In our meetings, we like to talk about this issue of separation because that's a real process of mind renewal. It has to do with the Christ that's in you. You are tempted to separate yourself from Christ in you constantly by being you. Now, psychologically, I could talk about a lot of things here. There are some people who do most things they do and don't know they do them. There are other people who do things on purpose. So your mind needs to be renewed so that you realize that everything you do has to do with Christ. That you don't separate him from uh, cooking in the kitchen or taking care of the baby and uh, singing songs in the church house. There is no separation. You're him and are operating as him everywhere you go and in everything you do. Now to get that consciousness is not a simple matter. Uh, we published a songbook, a little chorus book that we use. Uh, I noticed Julia had one of them here. <clears throat> when we put that course book out, we thought we'd put all the popular courses in it. Everybody was saying, come to find out, as Robbie and I went through them, and most of them we couldn't sing because they were songs of separation. I can't sing, fill my cup, Lord. It's already full. He's already there. I can't say I walk with him. I don't walk with him. He's in me. Wherever I walk, that's him. We're one. I can't sing he comes to me in the garden. He's already in me. So you see, our life is so polluted with various things that we don't realize the state of separation that we fall into. You say, well, I can't just keep my mind on heavenly things all the time. Don't have to. Once you get fixed that Christ is your life, you can live spontaneously. 
Now somebody said, what's our goal? If it's not to be uh, powerhouses and, and prophets and apostles or great servants of God, what's our goal? Oh, our goal is, <coughs> is very simple, to be spontaneous with Christ as we were with the devil. So sorry, but we've run out of time for this week, but I promise we'll pick it up right where we left off next week. So be sure and be back with us as we continue this great series from Warren Litzman called Renewing the Mind. Again, we'd like to invite you to go to our website, christ-life.org. Read all about our In Christ message, and be sure and go to the bookstore, too, and look at the wonderful material available to you, all from Warren Litzman. In the meantime, we'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these teachings. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account each week. Each week, the podcast notes are done by Tammy Laycock. And Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship is our wonderful producer each week. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.